My name is Paula Briggs. I'm a consultant in sexual and reproductive health and chair-elect for the British Menopause Society. Now, Paula, before we come to uh, this this research that we're going to be talking about, just tell me a little bit about the society, uh, what you do for women and, and I suppose what you might call the menopause cause. Yeah, so um, one of the core things that we do is to deliver education, um, mostly for GPs, but also for other secondary care providers. We have made our training much more versatile um, because I think it's been difficult for GPs to access the right sort of training um, and there are time constraints. Now, I feel that menopause should be a core NHS activity delivered mostly in in primary care and general practice, either by a doctor, nurse or even a pharmacist could do an extremely good job with menopause. Um, And only a small number of women really need to be seen in a tertiary or a secondary or tertiary referral centre. Um, and those are women who have premature ovarian insufficiency, so very early menopause, or um, who have had hormone-dependent cancers. So why aren't we at that stage yet then? I mean, is this something, can we actually get to that point, do you think, within the NHS? I would very much hope so. So we have tried very hard to make what we have on offer much more flexible. Um, GPs don't have to undertake what we call the principles and practice of menopause care. There's a basic certificate and an advanced certificate. They can have a resource pack which gives them easy access to, for example, consensus statements, um, toolkit resources um, and these things are all put together by a team of experienced experts in menopause care. So this is something that is accessible to GPs in their surgeries, but it, it does seem, like you're saying, like it's the sort of thing so many people go through this. You know, all of us women will go through this. So it does seem a bit bonkers that it's not something that is immediately available to us in our GP practice, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, you can't underestimate the damage done by the Women's Health Initiative study in 2002 when it was first published. And it's taken a long time um, to recover from that. And I'd say we are still in the recovery phase. The NICE clinical guideline, which was published in 2015, went a long way um, to redress many of the myths that were part of the Women's Health Initiative study. Um, but it does take a long time. I mean, good, good news um, doesn't have the same traction as bad news unfortunately and I you know I do feel that women um, now are almost being bombarded by social media so that can also be quite confusing and I've never seen any other other area in medicine go through such extreme peaks and troughs. It does seem at the moment doesn't it that it's something that everyone is talking about and obviously today being World Menopause Day even more so it's good to sort of get that awareness out there but I guess as you say with that you're going to get some positives and some negatives and we do tend to sort of focus sometimes on on the negative but I do love the fact that uh, despite these negative perceptions you are bringing us something of a positive take on menopause today. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely delighted with the results of this survey. It's certainly not all bad news. Um, You know, I think the fact that um, women felt happiest, healthiest and sexiest at 53 is is fantastic. (laughs) That is so good to hear. It really is. Uh, So tell us then about some of these sort of myths then that you mentioned, because as, as you say, a lot of the sort of negatives seem to get out there, but they're not all true. 
No, they're not. They're not all true. So I think um, one of the things um, in the the WHI when it was published in 2002 was that HRT caused breast cancer, strokes and heart attacks. And what the NICE guideline did to redress that was to talk about individualised care. So from a GP perspective, I think just listening to the to the patient is really important and from the patient perspective it's knowing where to go to get the right information so I would definitely recommend Women's Health Concern the patient facing arm of the British Menopause Society because the information there has been written by experienced experts and you you know you can we, we know what the patient is getting is the right information um, and that's the difficulty with other information resources that are popping up really right left and centre and I think the social media thing is good because it has raised awareness and World Menopause Day is all about raising awareness of menopause and as you say 50% of the population are going to be menopausal and women will spend roughly a third of their lives post-menopause and they should these should be the best years of their lives. I think the study um, which was undertaken by um, women's health company Organon uh, found that women did appreciate stopping bleeding and I really like the pearls of wisdom in the study things like stop trying to be perfect, it doesn't exist, make time for yourself, um, stay in touch with old friends, always trust your gut instinct and don't stay in a job if you don't have to. So I think you know the expectation now with um, menopause care is probably slightly skewed to always being perfect and that just doesn't happen we all have things that that make us feel up and down from day to day and that's that's life isn't it so it's about giving women realistic expectations of how they're going to be when they're menopausal with whatever form of treatment they choose to access and are there various different types of treatment we can look at now how much has it changed over recent years oh there's been recently a significant um, increase in, in research into menopausal treatments. You know, for, for most women, HRT is an option, If certainly for women who are otherwise healthy below the age of 60. But I think it's so important not to forget about those women who've had hormone-dependent hormone cancers who may not be able to have HRT. It may not be appropriate. And collaboration is so important in caring for those more complex patients. I mean, collaboration with all of our partners is important. We wouldn't have had this study without collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry. But I think liaising with a patient's gynaecology oncologist with their breast surgeon, with their haematologist if they've had blood clots is, is really, really essential to um, provide the best care. So HRT is one option using um, antidepressants, not because of depression, but because of their ability to control hot flushes and night sweats is an option. And the newer drugs are called neurokinin antagonist drugs. They are non-hormonal uh, treatments to manage hot flushes, night sweats, difficulty sleeping. And I think they are potentially most exciting for those women who've had cancer who may not be eligible for hormone treatment. It's really positive to hear that there are those different options available. Uh, so for someone who is either going through perimenopause or is actually in menopause and hasn't actually spoken to anyone yet, where would you say should be their first port of call? 
probably to women's health concern to inform themselves um, and then to the GP or the practice nurse. And if they don't feel that they have had the right um, response from their inquiry with their primary healthcare team, then actually women's health concern have an advice line for a minimal payment. We will provide bespoke advice to an individual who emails in regarding symptoms and that can that can um, reduce the need for a secondary care referral and at the moment I would say many services are facing up to a year's wait. But, but presumably one of the things that is quite positive at the moment which I, I'm sure you're, you're happy about as well is the fact that it, this is being discussed a lot more and it is out in the open isn't it so hopefully more women are feeling more likely that they can actually speak out about this and talk to somebody about it. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And I think we have to remember that a certain proportion of the workforce are women of a certain age. Um, and if women want to stay in the job because they like the job, then they should be able to do that with the support of their employer. Um, and today we've um, shared the British Menopause Society guideline about managing the menopause in the workplace with women's health concerns. So that resource is also there. Excellent. Well, let us know then where we can go to find out more information about this super positive study as well, because I'm liking this. (laughs) Yeah. Via the Organon um, website, the uh, study will be published there. Excellent. And tell us again where we can find uh, information about your society. So um, put into a search engine, British Menopause Society and Women's Health Concern. Late Lunch, tended by Ramsey Garden Centre. Open seven days a week. My name's Dr Ella Russell. I'm a GP based in West Yorkshire uh, and I specialise in all things perimenopause and menopause, so supporting women through uh, this journey in their lives. Which is still something of a bit of a maze, it has to be said. Um, So I'm going to ask you, first of all, if it's okay, just explain to us what actually is the menopause? What is happening to our bodies? Yes. Okay. So, and well, the menopause, the first thing to remember is that the menopause is a natural process that all women um, will go through in their lives. And basically what happens is as we get older, um, our ovaries don't work as well as they um, were doing sort of 20, 30 years ago. So we stop producing um, eggs. So obviously we we sort of stop being able to get pregnant. But more importantly, for the menopause sort of symptoms, the estrogen levels uh, that we produce from our bodies uh, reduce and and actually sort of really peter off. And it's that estrogen um, deficiency that causes all of the symptoms and the problems associated with sort of the the journey through the menopause, but also sort of has some long-term health risks associated with it as well. And of course, I'm sure that no two women are going to have the same experience uh, because, of course, we are all all individual. Uh, But what sort of uh, sort of symptoms can we sort of expect, I suppose, that are most common? Yeah, okay. So um, all ladies will generally start to become perimenopausal in their sort of um, early or mid 40s, if you like. And um, there are really common symptoms that a lot of people will uh, experience. So um, over 80 percent of women will talk about experiencing hot flushes or flashes, depending on which area of the world you come from. And over 65 percent will talk about sort of overwhelming fatigue and tiredness, which may be exacerbated by not sleeping very well, which is also really common I know as well that anxiety and mood problems are really common in the perimenopause and the menopause but the research that's come out of the one-to-one diet that basically shows that uh, weight gain is reported by over sort of 60 65 percent of women and unfortunately that 
the significant proportion of those ladies will say that they will gain sort of one to one and a half stone um, as they go through their perimenopause and menopause, which it really has an impact on people's sort of psychological and physical, physical well-being. It does, doesn't it? And it's only one of those many symptoms that can affect us psychologically, I think, because a lot of the ones that it seems like we can expect, like you said, fatigue, which of course is going to affect us psychologically. You've got sort of the visual symptoms, you know, whether it's sort of sweating or, you know, sort of hot flushes, like you say, added to this, the weight gain. I mean, that is going to have a massive psychological impact on us, isn't it? It does, it does. And and I, and I think we need to recognise this. And I think this is what this um, research has really highlighted, that you know, a lot of women know that they might put some weight on, but actually they probably don't realise the extent to the weight gain that they could experience. And also, um, as you say, you know, it, it, we, our body shape changes. So we go from being this typical sort of pear-shaped, if you like, to make, being a bit more apple-shaped. So we tend to put the weight on around the middle, um, the, the old middle-aged spread, as people call it. But and, and it tends to accumulate around there. And, and that really can be really difficult for lots of women to kind of come to terms with this. Not only have they gained weight, that their body shape's changed. And, you know, they, they what they can wear and and what other people may see when they're looking at them has, has changed. And, and that, it's time in her life when, she may be sort of struggling with psychological symptoms anyway and, and sort of exhaustion and fatigue. That lack of confidence that women talk about is, is really profound. And in fact, one in 10 women in this research talked about the fact that actually they were their confidence was at an all time low uh, as they transitioned through the perimenopause and menopause. And part, part of, of the sort of the positivity about doing research like this is obviously it's great that this is raising awareness of this so that it's it's obviously better to be pre-warned, I guess, in that respect, so that it's not something that just sort of surprises us as such. But what can we actually do then to either sort of alleviate these symptoms if there is anything with it being hormonal or just simply to sort of address this lack of confidence? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I think there's lots of things that we can do. And I think first and foremost, um, it's really important for women to recognise their symptoms and recognise what that their what their symptoms are and whether they're attributable to uh, the perimenopause and the menopause. So I speak to ladies all day who it, it's taken them sort of 12 to 18 months to recognise that actually their symptoms, all of their myriad of symptoms that they're experiencing could be perimenopausal or menopausal. I think it's really important to seek support um, if you feel that you need it. And most ladies do feel that they need it. And actually a third of women who get support find that actually the transitioning through this period in their life is made a little bit easier. So um, the support could come from friends. It could come from family. It could come from your partner. It could come from work colleagues as well, because we know that uh, menopause within the workplace is, is really important and is also gaining some traction around the country at the moment. But I think reaching out for if if weight if weight gain is a real problem for you and something that's really affecting your confidence, then reaching out to organisations like One to One and getting that support if you if you want it, or reaching out to people like myself who may be able to talk to you about sort of hormonal treatment options or other treatment options that may be able to help with your symptoms. So something like uh, HRT or, or hormone options that you mentioned, could that help this weight gain? 
Well, and what we tend to find is it, it what what it will do is it will hopefully give you a, a bit more energy, a bit more motivation to be able to sort of maybe exercise a little bit more or maybe make the correct lifestyle choices that we all know about, but can be really hard to do if you're feeling sort of really low in yourself and uh, too tired to exercise and that sort of thing. But there is some evidence that basically replacing your estrogen can actually help with that re- the, the way that we the we gain the weight and where we gain it as well so it's really important to remember that hrt doesn't cause you to gain weight and for some people it can help to um you know re- uh, reverse some of the weight gain that you experienced which is positive of course and and you have i think is it like 20 years experience in this um judging by the information i've got here so how would you say that our perceptions have changed because it does seem like recently there have been a lot of documentaries there've been um it's it's been sort of quite ho- high profile talking about the menopause with different celebrities talking about it as well this yeah. must be quite a positive thing in your eyes Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. And I mean, you know, the, the, the more we get out there and the, the more uh, raising of awareness of this and breaking down taboos um, is going to have a really positive effect for women and society in general. I mean, I think we need to remember that, yes, OK, it's women that go through this, but, you know, we need to remember that it's a good idea to educate the, the men that may be supporting a partner going through it or maybe working with women who are experiencing the menopause in the workplace so absolutely raising awareness is is key to being able to help people get the support and advice that they really need excellent well thank you very much for talking just today just let us know where we can go for more information about this Yes. Okay. So there's there's a couple of different um, places that I can direct you to. So obviously the the, the one to one website has got has got all this sort of research and it's got all the evidence and support around the the weight loss program. If you wanted to tap into that, there's lots of resources as well, sort of on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm I have a website that's www.menopause.yorkshiremenopausedoctor.co.uk and I'm available on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, there's lots of really good websites. There's lots of uh, menopause doctors out there who've got some really good resources on on their website. And I'll definitely signpost people towards those.